Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Slim, Fitty, and Biggie Committee podcast, where me and my best friends, Danny and Matt, take a deep dive into hip-hop, the genre that has formed an integral part of our lives. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore Slim, Fitty, Biggie Committee, and stay tuned for any upcoming podcast news. Coming up on today's show, I caught up with Sean Keys. Sean is an artist, songwriter, and owner of the Formula Entertainment Group. He has been rapping since he was 13, where he even travelled to LA to meet with record labels such as Death Row. Since then, he has been developing his craft as well as managing legends such as Grammy-nominated artist Jojo of the legendary R&B group Jodeci, as well as facilitating brand partnership deals for artists such as Blueface, G Herbo, Rich the Kid, and Soldier Boy. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> I'm fortunate today to be speaking to my man, Sean Keys. Um, yeah, it sounds like Keys because he's got the key to success. You know that's that's for sure. So Sean has been in the game for a long time. He's got a really long career and he's worked with artists like Blueface, G Herbo, Rich the Kids, Soldier Boy, the list goes on and on. And he also just dropped three singles this year, Open, Bottom B, and UI We. So definitely check out his stuff. Um, and he's come on the show. He's kind enough to come on the show and uh, give me some time. So, Sean, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Man, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Anytime. I mean... I mean, we started before the podcast talking about coronavirus. So um, how has coronavirus been for you in terms of impacting your ability to make music and, and your entertainment group as well? Well, as far as like uh, my impact of me to uh, be able to make music, it really has in a degree of like studios. Like I'm not really trusting going to the studios, right? So it's like, you can build an in-home studio, but then that sound quality is a certain caliber you want to you want to keep your sound. So I haven't really been recording a lot, a lot, but I've still been able to get projects done one by one. Um, and then as far as like being on the road promoting these new recent singles, I haven't really been able to go out and do promo runs for that stuff, you know, as far as radio and all that. A lot of this stuff now is just going through Zoom, like we're doing a Zoom call here. Um, and so it kind of it kind of killed some of the momentum, but everybody is on their phone now. So we try to do our marketing good where we're visible online and pop up at different places where some rooms or places or people we wouldn't even have ran into anyway. So it's a good and a bad at the same time during this COVID. Do you feel like it's forced you to be more flexible in terms of what you're doing? Yes, yes. Yes, it has. It has because you got to you got to get creative outside the box because the industry is not even in a traditional form like it was before anyway. So a lot of people are having to adjust their campaign to fit what the world is. And, and it's fun too, to to a degree because you get to see how other people react in these times or how they really survive. So this really tests your hustle. Well, it sounds like you've come through the other side quite well. Like you haven't lost sight of your goals or lost sight of any hope. No, not really. I mean, and, and then to be honest with you, by us break, trying to break these other records in and get these other records going, it's been a little bit better because it saves us money for one, like on radio budgets. We don't have to worry about spending money on radio because nobody's really listening to radio like that. Everybody's on their phone or on the computer or streaming on YouTube or different little digital platforms. So it's, it's kind of saving us some money and giving us time to really start warming up the pot. Do you also feel like with radio, it's obviously limited because you book time slots of like, you know, I want my music played certain time slots because that's where I get the biggest kind of market growth, biggest exposure? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, a lot of these radio stations out here, you know, those radio budgets is ridiculous. And, and you know, we're trying to just keep it to where we can keep everything cohesive, you know. I hope I answered your question the right way. The yeah. <laughs> you definitely did. Well, I, I think the challenge is right now, obviously, 
you know, radio is very much like you, you only listen to it when you're in your car. You don't really listen to it any other time. And even now, every modern car has, you know, the Spotify hookup or the Apple Music hookup. And I like I know for myself, I don't listen to the radio because I know that I can choose my own music and then I can play it. So it's it's harder now if you're like or easier, depends how you look at it with social media, but you get to go direct to the listener. Yeah. And that's cool. The Spotify playlists, you know, all those different playlists like on title. And then you can do your ad campaigns. So it's a lot better. It's a little cheaper. It's a lot better. And it's more organic. You know what I'm saying? And then you can like go live on your on your whatever social media platform you have. You can go live. You know, you can pretty much drop your music when you want to, especially for, for me being independent. Um, we I can pretty much drop whenever, you know, so it, it's it makes it a lot easier. Well, I have spoken to a few independent artists. There is some something freeing about the ability for you to just control your own brand, do what you want to do when you want to do it. You don't have to like wait for a label to be ready for your music to come out. Yeah. Like we waiting on some stuff now. I got a I got a song with a with an artist assigned to Atlantic Records, Juicy Fruit. Um, she's a dope female rapper out here in America, she got uh, her themes. Well, she has the theme song for a popular TV show called P Valley. Um, I don't know if this is, if I can say the word, but P Valley is about strippers. No, go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, it's Pussy Valley. But they call it P Valley, it's on stars. And the when I heard it, I'm like, damn, you know, I already was a, was a, a listener to her. You know, I, I've been listening to her music about, two years now but just her style is so raw and her stories is so real and deep to where I was like you know once I get another record that well we have fit like our brands have fit you know I'm gonna try to reach out to her and then she accepted the offer and we took it from there we knocked out a video um we did the video in October but I'm just waiting on Atlantic to clear so we can push that out so that's coming too so that's gonna be a real big record like a real big club record yeah well the i'm sure they'll push it out pretty soon they might be waiting for you know the 2021 drop you know the the start of the year the you know new brand new content comes out it's it's always challenging because they've got you know a lot of things that they're juggling they're looking at you know what are we pushing at certain times whereas you an independent artist you just have the flexibility of i get to do what i want so it's it's kind of that weird place of when you work with artists that are obviously signed to record labels, you still have to wait for for that to get cleared. Yeah, yeah, that's the inconvenience. But you know, ultimately, once it does get cleared, it'll be a nice look because the video is real high end. Uh, I really spent a lot on getting that. You know, me and the team, we spent a lot <clears throat> making that uh, uh, a bigger a bigger look. Well, I've, I've seen from your music videos, you do spend a lot. I mean, on open, you did a really good quality shoot in terms of the the story out there because that is all about, you know, a relationship from when you were kids moving up and getting, you know, actors and actresses that uh, look similar enough for you to fit into that role. So I think you did a good job on that as well. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. That, that took a lot of detailed casting to get that done. Um, very meticulous, and the director is very meticulous too. Um, King Al Hefner, he he did a lot of videos for like Rick Ross and Rick Ross artists, and a bunch of different people on the West Coast and in, in the industry. He's been at it for years, and actually, he's a Grammy Award-winning producer too um, for Lil Wayne's album, The Carter Three. Um, him and his production camp, they got a Grammy off that, and. You know, so he very up top, very, very good people. So our our chemistry matched very well when it came to that look, trying to find the right look. Well, you can tell that you both had this a similar vision. Like your yeah. vision matched his and you guys worked well together. I think sometimes there's an artist's vision and sometimes there's like the producer's vision. They don't match. I think that wasn't the case here. Yeah, yeah. How do you get, you know, to work with such big artists like how do you get in touch like do you just reach out and they they say yes or do you have go through your networks how does how is that process well i mean yeah we go through the networks um my business partner has some contacts too 
Um, we'll reach out to their management, to their agent, and, and money talks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> everybody <laughs> going to get paid. So you just make sure that you can satisfy their interest. And it's got to be good quality, too, you know, because some people won't even accept a record or if, if it's not hot, you know. So it already has to be a direction to it. Yeah, and you got to have that vision and be able to pitch. It's weird because I feel like a lot of artists don't realize that getting into the music industry is sales, yeah. is marketing. It's those extra skills that you don't really think about. They're like, oh, damn, i got to think about distribution. i got to think about all these different things that, you know, when I'm young, I wouldn't have thought about. Right, that's real. It takes more to the notion. It's a lot that goes into this. It's not for the for the vain at heart or the, the, the weary of the weak. You got to be strong to, to do this music stuff. Especially because it takes some time before you start seeing the paper. Like it's yeah. not like that comes the first year. It takes a lot of time. You've got to make sacrifices, time in the yeah. studio, which is not free. And then, you know, distribution and all of that. It, it, it is a real hustle. It is. It is. It's a lifestyle. It's a, you got to be dedicated to it 24 seven, especially in the American market. You got so many people as as artists, you know what I mean? So it's a lot of traffic in a way. Like, you know, not saying that it's a lot of good artists and you got a lot of bad artists. But you your your work ethic for a mediocre artists outweigh a good artist if they lazy. You get what I'm saying? So it's a lot of variables to it. So you just gotta outwork everybody and be just as genuine, as nice to as many people as you can along the way and just keep going with your campaign. Well, I've always said I'd take a hardworking, no talent person, someone who's going to grind all day and going to work and work and work rather than someone who has the most talent and doesn't work at all. At the end of the day, every career pathway, regardless of whether it's music or not, it takes grind. It's not, it doesn't just get handed to you, unfortunately. That's true. That is true. Well, I was going to ask you, like, how did you get into music? Like, what brought you into hip-hop? What brought me into hip-hop? Um, I was about, well, I've always been into music. Like, the love for it. I, I'm still a fan of music, right? So when I was a kid, my granddaddy had a, a stroke. So I couldn't communicate with him verbally. So what I would do is sing and dance around the house with a broom like it was my microphone. And when I'm dancing around the house, just to see him smile was our way of communicating, you know, or a head nod from him because, you know, stroke victims, they can't talk. So it it went from trying to reenact Michael Jackson back then. And then it was like, you know, as you start to grow, I had older brothers and sisters. So they would always play different stuff that I wasn't supposed to be listening to. But in their age group, they, you know, pretty much teenagers. Mm -hmm. So they was listening to whatever. And it was just studying and watching, like, you know, the feeling that you get. Like, the first time I heard Scarface or the Ghetto Boys, my mind playing tricks on me, that was a scary-ass song to hear as a kid. You know what I mean? And then to see the videos and all that stuff, and then when Snoop Dogg came out, Murder Was a Case, just like that, you know, when, when the devil popped up in the you yeah. Remember that video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for me being a kid, and especially we in the ghetto, too, at that time, so it was like, damn, you know, this they painted a picture that you could go outside and touch and see because it was a, a, a wide reality. So I wanted to be able to tell a story too, right? So I would go ahead and um, try to like create different little rhymes with my cousins and then got into the poetry stuff and then learning different rhyme patterns, how to write your bars and all that. So I just started back then when I was like 12 is when I really started recording. So did you really connect with it because the things that they were talking about or things they were, you know, discussing in that in the tracks, you could see in your life, you could go outside and go, okay, I understand where the lyrics are coming from? Exactly. Understood completely. And how did, how did it make you feel? Obviously, when you're quite young, it's like, it's a weird reality check that people are talking about something that you probably never thought about. You know, it's something that you just grow up with and you don't know any different. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had that fortunate reality, right? But then I had to learn that my reality wasn't uh, unfortunate either because 
you take that street knowledge because I learned that first. The first thing I learned was how to survive, right? And then you got to look at it like even back then in those days, the rappers would teach you how to move. You know what I mean? It was more, it's different than it is now. So you would you would apply some of the knowledge that you learned from them and then you still deal with your reality and then the different street guys that's around you that's older that you look up to, they'll put you up on game to give you different ways to move. And then you apply that with going to school and getting book knowledge, you know, now you're a triple threat. You get what I'm saying? So people who didn't have those experiences probably only had it in a facet of, of one or two ways. One way being education, you know, learning how to do that route. And then if they were taught by somebody how to move in a different kind of way, but not really in a street way, just so they could be, uh, conscious enough to know what's going on you know they had it probably on, on those one or two ways but the way we grew up it was you know triple threat type way well the interesting thing to me is that you definitely talk about education there is this weird kind of societal belief that to be an artist you don't have to be educated and there is this kind of strange weird thing that you know my even my mum said to me I was speaking to Elder Sensei and he's been in the career in the game for 25 years plus. And she said yeah. to me, how is he making money? And I was like, what do you mean? How is he making money? He's educated and he's in the, in the right. game. There's this, right. if you, if you don't understand, there is this belief that for whatever reason, artists in general are not educated, but that is truly the opposite. Well, it is. It's a lot of people that's probably not educated. Um, but then there's a lot of people that are, you know, you got to take, for example, they might be, might not be the best, might not be book smart, but they're survival smart. They know how to generate revenue smart. So it takes some form of mental capacity to be able to create that broad, you know what I'm saying? That broad reach. Like, I'm going to just give you one, one example, like for Soldier Boy. You, he started the, the mumble rappers, that the bubblegum rap, mumble rap yeah. side. But his marketing technique of how he started himself and how he stayed relevant, good or bad, that takes a level of thinking outside the box. Because if he would have just did it like a traditional rapper where they don't want to be seen like that, they don't want to do this, his career probably wouldn't have been as impactful as it has been over these past 12, 15 years, or however long it's been for him. Well, what do you think was the difference for someone like Soldier Boy to be able to, you know, be able to hit the market and hit the mark really well consistently over that long period of time? The difference for him was his 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 willingness to go out there and do it and then his team. Um, he had the right team around him at the time. You know, you started out with Collie Park, then he went to Interscope. You know, Jimmy Iovine and my Interscope, they're not trying to lose. So, and then they put him with the right talent at the time to do their features. So it still made his brand stand out. You know what I mean? And then for him to create those dances for those kids during that time, this was before TikTok. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. This was before everybody started doing those dance challenges. So that kind of kept him ahead of the curve because now he growing up with his fan base. And then the kids is coming in right behind them. Uh, then they started following suit because they probably their cousin, brother, sister, whoever, or just watching YouTube, MTV, BET at that time. Well, I always wonder what things like TikTok would have done to artists like that. Like, you know, I think about what the imp impact of social media, but also how big, you know, Soldier Boy was, you know, in the, in the 2000s, like before TikTok came out. And I just imagined, you know, what would have happened if we had TikTok in those days? And, you know, he probably would have gone even bigger. And he was one of the mega superstars. Yeah, back in them times, he was. Yeah, it would have. He, he would have. Because, you know, he, was, he killed the ringtone game. And, you know, ringtones is kind of like non-existent right now. <clears throat> but it was a lot of revenue made during that during that era. So for you, because obviously you learned your 
kind of you kind of got that taste of you know entertaining your grandfather and communicating with him and like the the singing and the dance and how did you translate that into i want to move forward into a more of a music career well like i said once i started really listening to like other rap you know you got to remember i'm uh i'm not a young guy i'm young let's say that but i remember you know uh, before everything became gangster, gangster, you know what I mean? So you would hear those guys on the East Coast, it was very lyrical. And then you would hear the guys down South that had that bouncy vibe to it, you know what I mean? And then on the West Coast, they had like this certain swag and flair and the way they pronunciated their words. So me, at that time, I was in the Midwest as a kid. So it was like, hmm. You want to be lyrical. You still got to have some feeling of the South, right? And then you want to have that swaggy player type vibe, like coming from the West Coast. So it was like you would structure your songs in a way that you could be, you could feel it, you know? And so it was almost like you was writing poetry to a degree, but you emphasize, you put an emphasis on, on your wording and your cadence and all that stuff. So at 12, I recorded my first record. And then by 13, we were entertaining a situation. Um, one of my cousins that lived in Compton was trying to get me over with Suge at death row, but Suge had went back to jail at this time. So I was entertaining them for about nine months, I'd say something like that. And my dad pulled me back out of that situation because you know of that accusations of how death row was running their operation. So I got pulled back out of that and then did some independent stuff and then went on the road a few years later with a couple bigger acts um, and opened up for them on, on tour. Uh, and then I just kept going from there and then started working behind the scenes for a few years on other people, other artists trying to help them get their stuff uh, and just back grinding. So now I'm just pushing some new material out now, especially during this COVID, it was like better now than never. But I started actually right before COVID happened, working on these other records that y'all hear right now. Well, I think that it came across really well, um, what you did. But you. Did you did you interact with anyone at death row? Like when you were like that weird transition phase where you were trying to get over there, but it wasn't really happening. Did you interact with anyone there that was like trying to get you over? Obviously everybody knows Suge Knight um, and, and the things that happened with him. It was a few, it was a few of the, his right hand OG blood people from the neighborhood of where my cousin was from. Um, and there was another guy, he was a publicist over there. I actually just ran into his son Um I can't remember his name, but his son is doing some stuff in the industry now. And he was young when I was young too, you know, he, but he a few years younger than me. Um, but I remember his dad being over there because they was trying to figure out how to roll me out, how to do different stuff. Um, but when it comes to the other artists that were there, of course, I didn't, Tupac was gone at that time. Um, and it was just like some other, older acts, but they was into other stuff that I wasn't really into because I was young, you know what I mean? So I didn't really, I don't re really remember all those guys. They didn't, they didn't really stick out in my mind. I just remember the experience going to the office, being around them, seeing all of the stuff that 14 year old was just 13, 14, feeling like, you know, this is it, I'm on, you know, but in reality, I'm glad my dad did that. I'm glad he pulled me back. Yeah, it would have it would have been crazy because obviously you know Death Row, especially at that time, is one of the biggest studios you know across the globe. Everyone's talking about it. Everybody's thinking yeah. about it. Um, and and yeah, I th it's interesting because like your dad had enough foresight to be like, you know what, as much as like flashy and looks good, yeah, was it his instinct that said, no, nah, this is not the right fit? Yeah, yeah, it was, and. Uh... You know, it, it, it was instinct, the parenting, uh, you know, by him being a parent, because it was more than just business. Because, you know, once you're in that business, 
you subjected to a lot of other stuff that you can't, that's unforeseen sometimes. So I'm glad that, you know, he pulled me back. And I was wild. I was a young, wild, hothead, young dude. So he pulled me back in the right time and then shifted me into more of the, just from just being an artist to look at it as a business, you know, so that kind of helped out a lot. Definitely. And for you, did you, what did you learn particularly from that experience? Obviously from, you know, almost getting signed and then having, and then you go back and you're like, you know what, this was not the right move. Did you learn anything like internally? Did you go, okay, this is what I need to do now? Yeah, I learned a lot. It was, it was more so of how the, the, the wheels turn, you know, cause there's a lot that go into it that a lot of people don't know. And then I was still naive to a lot of stuff too, you know, I'm still a kid. So, but I did learn that um, a lot of these people wasn't, especially at that time on that label, they wasn't really, they wasn't acting. They was like really rapping about what they really, I just seen you do that. You know what I mean? Like you really do live like that. So I learned that I knew deep down in my heart that I wanted to project something better but I didn't quite know what it was then. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I your w- messaging, you wanted to be different. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I wasn't like a, just like a conscious rapper, like, you know, like a, uh, who, like a Common or, or a Talib Kweli. I'm not like one of those rappers at all, because um, I was still heavily influenced by the street artists, right? But it was a different form of messaging that they would give that I, that I was receptive to than versus hearing common rap. Like I wouldn't necessarily, I would like his music, but not really pay attention to his delivery or his approach. Well, I was going to ask you as well, because we were talking about, you know, you were listening to New York, you were listening to West Coast, you were listening to South. Were there particular artists that you were studying specifically and going, this is the style that I want to try and understand? Um, the style that I would try to understand, hmm, well, I could only study who, 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 who we heard a lot of, right? So those, back in that time, it was 8-Ball. I don't know if you know, remember 8-Ball and MJG? I do know of 8-Ball. Yeah, so I would study his, his cadence. Um, I would study Snoop. I would study Too Short, um, Mystical, because, you know, they was like standout sound. They sound stood out to me. Um, who else would I study? Study Rakim. Um, who else? Would, who else? And then that was pretty much that from, from that phase. And then, you know, as you progress in life, you know, other people pop up, you you know, Jay-Z, you be like, damn, I like how he said that, how he put that metaphor together. Like, he really thought outside the box. Like, he just dished somebody and the diss was so pleasant. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that made it know? sound good. <laughs> yeah, it made it sound very good. It wasn't aggressive at all. He just really, like, he sons you, but you wasn't, you know. Um, so I, it was just a lot. Like, Nas, listen to a lot of Nas growing up because he lyrically inclined for real um and i still like nas um buster rhymes you know he's a strong lyricist that, that i will study you know i hope you're not just looking for one person like you, you in order to be the best you got to study the best at different times like even biggie biggie was so cold at his wordplay and his just whole energy it just took you with him like it felt like he was walking with him somewhere you know well, I would be surprised if you only studied one artist, um, yeah. to be honest. Like, as a fan, like, I listen to a lot of music. So I imagine when you're a fan and you're wanting to make a career that you find all these different things that you like and you just go, all right, this sounds good in this artist. This sounds good in that artist. I'll say, learn this lesson and that lesson. I'll put it all together and make my own style. Yeah. No, you you got to take pieces from everybody. And how did you get into managing people? Because obviously, you know, you, you took a little bit of time, stepped away from actually making music yourself and went into 
more supporting artists and helping them get their career up and going. What made you decide to do that? Um, well, because I looked at the representation that I didn't have at one point in, in my career. So I looked at it like, well, if I know this and, and I love the, I love the, the, the art of everything. So, you know, I'm like first generation was, I would say second generation because my dad played instruments, but this is like a completely different thing. So it's really like I'm first generation industry. So I didn't really have nobody to teach me. So everything I learned was from lumps and bumps. And then those few moments where I would get a mentor along the way, I applied that and studied it and researched it. Then it goes back to the education portion, right? Um, I wanted to be able to be an asset to protect the culture of music. So how do you protect the culture of music? Well, you have to protect the person who produces and creates this music. So I just took it as, you know, let me do some background stuff behind the scenes. I was running another record company at the time. And then I had a few artists before I took my break. And then I was like, well, I've been in music for so long. Let me go figure out other areas of business, right? So then I started some other companies, uh, well, two other companies. And, and I learned that, okay, well, I apply what I learned in music as an artist, that grind and grit. And I put this behind building these businesses and made them somewhat successful. So when I came back to the music industry, I was even sharper because now my mind had opened up into broader aspects. So now I can utilize this piece and that piece and take this right here. And then the conversations is different because I'm not approaching you with a need. I'm, I'm approaching you on what's right. I'm approaching you on some product that I know will sell on, on an artist that I know is ready. Like we had uh, one client that y'all probably know is uh, Jojo from Jodeci. Hmm. Uh, we managed him brought a lot of great opportunities to him. But at the time, you know, he was used to being uh, in a group and then now he's a solo act, but we were getting him geared up and ready to get motivated on how to package himself as a solo act, you know, cause then he went from the group to him and Casey and Jojo. And then now it's just Jojo. So, you know, we brought a lot of great opportunities for him and the group, but it's just that confidence of knowing and understanding like, okay, you have a legacy artist or even with a new artist, it's no different. I treat nobody no different. The same steps still apply, right? The same rules apply. Like when I say the same steps, it's more like a, um, you gotta have your PR, you gotta have your marketing, you gotta have the proper pictures, you know, your image, have to be there. You have to be media trained. You got to be prepared to know what you want to say, how you want to do it. Uh, your rollout has to be consistent to your music. You know, so everything goes hand in hand. And I just felt like the management component was, was, was a need because I didn't always have somebody, I didn't always have a me or I didn't always have uh, uh, like my business partner, Erica, and on my side. So if we brought those components together, that's why we call it the formula too, because we, we create this formula of success for whoever we work with. So it just, it, it, that's, that's how. And so for any artist who obviously needs representation or wants the formula to success, obviously hit up my man, Sean Keys as well. Um, because he's he's working with a lot of lot of artists, and you can see, you know, even speaking to you, I can un, I can see that you get it. Like, there's not you're not joking, you're not wishy washy. You're like, I understand what it takes to be a success, rather than just you know, I kind of get it. Like, you're not dancing around it. You literally are like, I'll make it happen. Right, got to make it happen. Well, one of the things that I learned was, especially I I'm in sales myself, so. Um, that's what I learned. Like I went to uni and then I got into sales, but the, the best salespeople sell ideas. They don't just sell products. It's like, what is, what is this idea? What is this? If we work together, 
what is it going to do for you? And that idea is going to sell rather than just the partnership. And that is ultimately what gets people to be interested because you sell to what they legitimately want. It's the idea of what they want rather than, you know, here's a pen and here's just this pen, but what can this pen do for you? Right, right. That's true. Because the product is going to sell itself. You got to sell the idea and everything else will fall in place. Yeah, I, I tend to be a bit of a sales nerd. I like to read books and stuff like that and listen to yeah. sales podcasts. But that is, we, we, we could talk about that another time. But um, what do you see for you in moving into 2021? Because this year has been full of challenges. This year has been a difficult challenge. Uh, 2021, man, I hope to come to Australia at some point, honestly, um, because I know y'all got three different dialogues. So I want to learn and study the three different dialogues that y'all have out there. And then there's some good artists over there. Um, what's that one kid that's coming out of there? Little, uh, I was studying him. Adam, Adam from No Jumper was over there, and he brought him back to America and did an interview with him. I, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Hold on, let me see. I think I know his name. Hold on one second. Let me pull him up real quick. Well, we'd love to have you in Australia. Hip hop in Australia is actually starting to to really jump quite rapidly. I remember when I was in school, I was the only kid who's into hip hop, and now I can even feel like you know the culture is coming, like it is yeah. picking up like crazy. That's good. That's good. Kid Leroy. Kid Leroy. Yeah, he's pretty big out there, from what I've been researching. And then um, it's the dialects that y'all have. So I liked, I liked that I was studying, you know, I was like, let me study up on, because Sydney looked like a pretty place. Like you said, it's a tourist place. Yeah. So, and then, you know, Crocodile Dundee, I used to love that as a kid too. So <laughs> we would play around and had, try to create that accent, you know, but. Can you do an Australian accent? Have you been working on it? No, nah, I ain't did that shit in years, man. <laughs> 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 yep, I ain't did it in years, dude. Well, you'll have to practice. But the, the thing is, like, we've got what is known, you know, like the redneck kind of accent, the real true blue Australian. I don't really have that accent. When yeah. I go overseas, it seems really strong. But when, like, down here, it's not, not too bad. But you can tell when you speak to, like, you know, people who've been here for generations and generations, like, their families, they, like, have the true Crocodile Dundee, Steve Irwin type, type speech. And that's that, what is that? They call that, I wrote it down too the other day. Is that that broad accent? Because I know the cultivated is more of like the bougie, the rich. They talk like that cultivated. Yeah, it's weird because I, I don't really think of it like the cultivated and the broad. Like those guys are known as bogans. Bogans. Yeah. Okay. That's like okay. the redneck of of Australia. It's like they're known as bogans. So if you ever hear that's like, you know, that's like your true blue of the earth kind of Australian because I'm first generation Australian. So I, my parents weren't born here. So oh, um, really? yeah, my parents are Russian. So um, oh, no. yeah, well, that's why I can grow, grow hair. That's like, you know, that comes from, from that part of the world. But, the uh, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, so like, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, you, you talked about work ethic and you talked about, you know, the hustle that's something that was taught to me as well in a, in a different way. You know, my parents came from no money. My parents came from, they had to build their own success and, you know, coming from overseas, that's not an easy thing to do. So um, they brought and taught that was like, you know, you got to go and get, you got to go and hustle. Right. Right. And I think that was something that we loved about hip hop. Well, I loved about hip hop is it spoke to me in that hustle mentality. Right. Right. That's a lot of hustle music. It's a lot of hustle music. A lot of music that keep you motivated. Well, I can only listen to hip hop now. That's like my, my genre. Like I just get deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. There's more and more you learn and there's an infinite amount of artists. So um, it it's getting bigger. And as you said, some really good female artists coming through as well. It is. It's a lot of good female rappers. And some of these female rappers is, is, is more believable than some of these guys that's rapping now, you know? So, but, but, and they lyrics is just hidden. Like, you know, you got some of the girls who rap real freaky. Uh, it's like a high sex content. And then you've got some women that rap, they yeah, slit your throat. You know what I mean? Like just, just, just they cadence is hitting so hard. The metaphor is so cold. You can see that they've studied. Like it's not just 
you know. They had to. They had to because, it, it, you know, this is a male-dominated sport. You know, so if they didn't, they would have been second class, third class. So in order to be number one, you got to be ready. And the, obviously the challenges are that, you know, being in a male-dominated industry, you have to be even better to cut through because yeah. you're you're something different. And, you know, we are yeah. seeing, you know, um, people like Shane Noir, um getting recognized, Rhapsody coming up. And then, you know, those artists who have that lyrical content, you know, people have a thirst for it regardless of whether you're male, female or otherwise. They do. Yeah, that's true. How do you see the progression of hip hop, you know, moving from, you know, remembering what it was like in the 90s, moving into, you know, the the 20s and now it's you know late 20s um how are you seeing that progression um how do i see it progressing from here well how do you what do you think of the progression and what do you think is going to happen moving forward i think moving forward it's about to be a recycle of what the 90s was because the content that went so far right and it's always getting created and duplicated but a lot of stuff you know like the samples a lot of people are sampling stuff from the 90s and then they're trying to recreate that sound of like R&B. They're trying to recreate that sound of the, the, the boom bap a little bit, but then mix it still with some of the newer sound, like with your Metro Boomers and all of them. Yeah, like, like the hi-hats and the trappy bass. Yeah, yeah, if you listen to 21 Savage and Metro Boomers' latest album, a lot of those sample beats was from the 90s. You know, um, but I think that music is in, in, like everything in, in time, like even with style, it comes back. So I think right now it's coming back to what it was back then, because even in this pandemic, now people are saying you got to have raw talent. You know what I mean? And I personally feel like I'm very underrated for what I'm presenting. But my tribe will find me. My crowd will come. So I'm not even worried about that. I just got to stay consistent on what I'm doing, but for other artists that's out here, it's enough room for everybody as to be of a wide range of from your trap to your to your even gospel artists to 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 your your D-boy rappers outside of the trap, the gangster rap, the the grunge rap, you know what I'm saying? Like the, all that stuff is room for all of it, you know, because people got sh so short attention spans too now. So they playlists be so wide to where it might be Sam Smith, Gucci Mane, uh, Tupac, you know what I'm saying? Sean Keys, you don't never really know where it's go because it's, you know, so much going on at one time. Yeah, and people like a lot of different things. And just because you're into one thing doesn't mean you're not going to like something else. So, I mean, I'll, you always have moods where you want like, you know, just a vibe beat. And then sometimes you want a boom back and lyrical miracle content. And yep. there's always going to be more. And, you know, the, the good thing about hip hop is that there is more music. And it is, I think it's the number one growing music genre in the world right now. It is. It is. It is. And, and it creates the most revenue too now. You know, it used to be country and rock and roll, but now it's rap. What do you think it is that, you know, has has allowed it to get to a point where literally everybody loves it and everybody's talking about it? I mean, because it's the culture. Like, you got to implement it into everything. Like, you look at your commercials, your movies, your, your you know, you had a sports game. It just feel better to have that groove. You know what I mean? So it's in, implemented in everything that's going on in society. And I don't think it'll ever get dry or old or none of that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the best things for me is like, you know, if you look at the culture in general, it's also, you know, the clothing that comes part of it, the fashion style. Like, I'm a big fan of sneakers. Like, I love my sneakers. So, yeah. um you know, it's just one of those ones where it's not just music. And that's what some people don't understand is that it is like, a, like you said, a lifestyle. It is an idea. It is a culture for real. Yeah, it is. It really is. Because think about it. Sneakers and music go together. They do. Uh, if you do a commercial with a car, if you play some hip, like a hip hop beat in the background, it's going to feel better. Even in a, middle-class white neighborhood that's watching TV 
they you know laugh and feel like that's something good and then it it attract people in the urban culture too because it's like damn they just played such and such in a lincoln commercial eminem for example was a sponsor of Lincoln. You know, Lincoln had him for years. They probably still do, right? Was was that Lincoln? I believe it was. Lincoln. I think it was Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it just makes sense. It makes sense. Well, for me, it, it makes sense too. I mean, the first time I listened to a hip hop album blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind because yeah. um, obviously my parents weren't like you know into hip hop, but um, the first time I heard "Get Rich or Die Trying" by Fifty Cent, it was like. Uh, man hooked i slept to that album i literally yeah. fell asleep listening to it um it was just insane yeah man i wanted to be like 50 cent listening to that album like dude really was on something you know like damn this was like a real good album it is still one of my favorite albums of all time it is still one of those i can you can put on and you just vibe to and you hustle to and it has that grind feeling yeah Real talk. It still it still feel relevant. Like it's a good memory. Like 50 was cold, man, back then. Like I'm glad that he's doing his TV stuff now and his, his career is still going because he he went through a lot of hurdles and obstacles getting to where he at. So I'm I salute him. Well, he's very motivated. He's he's the true grinder. Like he always said that his goal was to be financially successful. And yes. He realized that music was his avenue in the starting place and he worked at it. You know, he hustled, he 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 released mixtapes, he did what you needed to do, and then he gets picked up and now he's taken his career to the next stage in terms of movies and TV shows. And he really is um, like a, a hustler, a modern-day hustler. Yes, he is. He is. We got his book here in the office. Where is that? Uh, we got is it The 50th got- Law or the other one? No, what's the other one? What's that book we got here? Uh, oh, here it is, right here. Hustle Harder. Hustle Harder. Yeah, that's his most recent one. Shout out to Curtis Jackson. This is this is a good book. Yeah. Do you know we we could do that as an ad, and just put it up, and then we can get fifty. You know, we just put it up and go fifty. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. hey, and I put him in my my. Uh, I did an animated video too. I added him in my animated video because, of course, I couldn't afford to get a real cameo. So I just paid the animator to put him in there. This is this is going to be the, the shot that we always use now. Just the yeah. you holding up the book. We ready to go and shout out to, to Coach Jackson. If he ever wants to hook up with either one of us, either Sean Keys or go on the Slim Fitty Big Committee podcast, let us know. We'd always be down. That'd be good. Let him know. <laughs> I'm sure he'll let that. He came to Australia before. Yeah, I actually saw him when he came down in 2018, I think it was. He opened up uh, in Melbourne. So um, it was like a dream come true for me to see him live. That's pretty dope, man. I, I got respect for him. I got respect for uh, Master P, for what he did for hip-hop um, and still do for hip-hop. Um, got respect for, of course, Jay-Z, because he manages all the big acts now. Yeah. you know, So he took his 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 brand and just like elevated it to the gods. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you got to respect these guys, man. So just follow their blueprint and then create your own ways within the blueprint and make it happen. And what do you see for moving into 2021 for you? Like what is your next goal in terms of what you want to achieve for next year? Well, once we get these next records out, I believe we're going to take over the club take over, you know, trying to get, because hopefully stuff will start opening back up, you know? So we got some good strong club records or car bangers or whatever they need. Um, so hopefully we'll be on the road sooner than later, you know? So we're in the process now trying to make sure our content is together, connect with a good uh, booking agent so we could be consistent with stuff coming out next year. You know, this vaccine that's coming out, I don't really know if I trust that vaccine, but, you know, I'm ready to travel and take this abroad and work to, you know, the U.S. But I know as an artist, you know, you get more of your exposure and revenue when you travel. 
So I really want to open up the, those gates to be able to travel for this this year coming up because, you know, for so long we've been booking for other acts and different people and they had turned down some of the stuff that you really needed to go through to keep your business floating. So now I wanted to take that power away from the table and create, you know, the Sean Keys movement and then culture. Yeah, I got the, 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 the girl group culture too um, coming right behind me. I'm breaking them as well as myself, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, I still have to break myself in as a new artist, right? Yeah. Even though I've been in this business for a while. So just taking those strategies and techniques that I would do with any other artist, I have to do on myself. So just trying to build a team to make a stronger team because you're nothing without your team. For all y'all entertainers and whoever else out there, you're nothing without a team. You can you cannot do everything by yourself. You will get burnt out. You'll run out of resources, finances, and everything else because you don't know who somebody else knows. So allow people to come in and be their best. And the people that's not their best, allow them to grow. Give them an opportunity to grow because you never know. You, you know, you everybody look for the biggest name. Like, I want to work with this particular lawyer because they got such and such client. But that lawyer might not have time to deal with you. So you might be missing out on a bigger opportunity caught up in paperwork or whatever else when you had a hungry lawyer who is all about moving forward, you know, you could get stuff done a lot faster, like different managers. All managers aren't good managers, you know, so you got to be cautious on who represents you. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but... No, go for it, man. I Like, it's interesting. Yeah, so, uh, like, you got to be careful with your manager because your managers... Um, uh, how can I say your manager's perception or how he come off or she come off might be too bitchy or might be too cocky and then to turn off other business for you. You know what I mean? So you got to have somebody that's very receptive and, and, and faster to listen and slower to speak because that could be the detriment of your whole career. You know, I will recommend people hiring people who really care about what's going on, even your publicist. They have to care about the project and what's going on versus just getting a paycheck because they pitch or the way that they represent you. Because a lot of people go meet your staff or your team before they ever meet you. They might hear your music and get a perception, but to have the right kind of team around you might get you further because it's that one-on-one -on -one human contact. You know what I mean? So we just got to be careful for all the younger artists and established artists. Check and balance is very important on who's around you, you know, and we can't get so caught up to where I'm an artist, I don't have to do that. No, you do have to do that. You know, you have to be present in your business. That's how you see a lot of the artists that's here today and going the next because they didn't take the time to learn this business, study this business, be held accountable by their team because their team is too timid to tell them what's really going on. Granted, I work on your behalf, but I, I'm working with you. And if you're not willing to work, then we're not working. You get what I'm saying? And also holding them accountable as an artist. Like, you know, you want them representing you in the right way. Got to. I'm always a student. I don't care how long I've been in this business. We could hire somebody new that might teach me something I never even knew. You know, so I'm always willing to listen and hear you out. It's just wise. It's wiser to listen and take heed to what somebody is trying to teach you or tell you, even if they foolish, at least you learned enough Well, okay, now you know how they think. Like, okay, I don't need to put you right here because you don't understand this part of life yet or this concept yet. So let me put you back over on this side. Okay, go be the best at that right there. And I replace you with somebody else right here so we can move forward. You know what I mean? Well, they say knowledge is power. Huh? They say knowledge is power. That is the, so the more you learn, the more people you, you understand, the more you get to implement in your life. There's no point, you know, shutting off from people and going, oh, they don't know anything. Everybody can teach you something. That's true. It is true. Everybody, you can learn from a crackhead. I don't learn some of the most valuable lessons in life from drug addicts outside. Seriously. And they, and, and, and you would think like, oh, this is a wino or crackhead. No, they had traumatic experiences, so they'd rather suppress themselves. But that don't mean that they don't understand. 
they're rather suppressive with this substance. Yeah. I think that sometimes, you know, especially now, you know, we spoke about social media, but it's because it's such an image game that people judge you without actually speaking to you. They make a lot of assumptions. Um, Whereas, you know, the best way to understand someone is just go talk to them. You will see that they have, every human has a lot of depth. They're not just, you know, a 2D image. They are, you know, they've had experiences, they've got family, they've gone through traumatic things, they've gone through ups, downs, and and ultimately we all have something in common. We do. We do. And 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 I don't believe in like facade, you know. And that's to my detriment too sometimes. Like I'm sometimes too real. You know, like how are you? Who are you for real? You know what I mean? Like because if I'm having a bad day, you know, I got my little circle of people to talk to. You know what I mean? But at the same time, everybody don't have that either. And then when you take somebody who already has low self-esteem, right, and you put this image of somebody in their face that seem, seem successful, that one, it, it'll probably attract them to inspire to be, to aspire to be like them. And then two, it might make them even less confident in themselves. You know, so even when you're shining in life, you still got to pour a little love out there. So people will know it's deeper than just the surface, you know, because the last thing you want to do is lead somebody astray and living in a lie when you could keep it real with them and, and be approachable to that regard. And also you create, you know, people who respect you, you know, people yeah. who turn around and go, you know what, you know, Sean is more than just an artist. He is more than just a business person. He is, you know, so much more. He is kind and he he looks after people and he's honest. And that is real branding at the end of the day. That is what, you know, what all those, you know, big brands like Nike and Apple, they all try to do. Right, right. They try, yeah, they do. But it's about you, man. You, you know, you represent yourself. You know, you're a person before I'm me. I'm Sean before I'm Sean Keys. You know, I'm my mama's youngest son before I'm who you perceive me on TV, you know, or on social media, you know, so. Well, man, you're very grounded. And I think that is, has profound, like provided a very strong foundation for, and the reason for, for your success. Like I can see that you're not, you know, in imagination land, you're not in living off in your own world where you think you're the greatest artist of all time, but you have a lot of perspective and you know your skills, you know your strengths, and you know that you're, you're still a student and you're still learning. And that is, to me, one of the key reasons why you're going to continue making, you know, successful music, number one, and continue managing artists successfully. Thank you. I appreciate that. Before we finish up, um, I always ask the same question to finish off my interviews. And it is, if you had, this is the only planned question that I have in all my interviews, but if you had to recommend one album that everybody listens to at least once, only one, this is where I limit your answers, only one, what would it be? Everybody has to listen to? Yeah. Uh, Shoot. Is it? Does it have to be rap? It doesn't have to be rap. It can be whatever you want. Damn, that's hard. I'm gonna say, for the for the for the feeling, the soul, and the lyrical content of what made me feel good growing up, right? I'm gonna go to Al Green. You know who that is? Uh, I, I actually don't know who Al Green is, but do you know the good thing is all these artists are giving me homework because. I have to go listen to it. I get more perspective, but um, I'll definitely have to check this out. All right, go to Al Green. Let me give you the exact name of that album. I had to tape. I would play this tape in the car all the time um, in, in, in like elementary school. And, and whoever I rode with in the car had to play my tape. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get in the car unless you play Al Green. Man, I'm telling you, it was serious, man. Um, but it's damn man. I hate to say one album though. I know this is the hardest question I'll, you'll ever get asked because it puts everybody on the spot. Hold on, let me pull it up for you. Uh, let me go to the album name. 
Do you know what you've done, actually, Sean? You've actually built suspense. This is what we're doing. We're like building suspense. It's like, you know, I'm coming. It's coming. Hold on just a few more seconds. And it's it's working. Yeah. It's uh, I'm Still in Love with You. This is Al Green's album. It came out 1972. It's a white cover. So for y'all that don't know what it looked like, I'm going to just show you real quick. Is it too bright? Can you see it? Yeah, it's too bright. But I'll post it in, in our promos as well. So... Al Green, um, can you just say the title again? I'm Still In Love With You. I'm Still In Love With You. Yeah, they got some hits, some hit records on there, man. He got uh, I'm Glad You're Mine, Love and Happiness, What a Wonderful Thing Love Is, Simply Beautiful, uh, Oh Pretty Woman, For the Good Times, Look What You've Done For Me, and One of These Good Old Days. And if you listen to that album... A lot of people in hip-hop sample a lot of those songs in their records. Well, I was going to ask you whether it's sampled, but I always love a soul sample in a hip-hop track. There is something about using a soul vibe and the vocals, the feeling that you can get, and then an artist going on top of those is, like, next level. Man, I'm telling you, it's, that, that's the album. That I mean... He took you through so many emotions in that album. I had to listen to that. And that's how I learned, like, man, what is love? What is, how did that feel? Like, I, I wonder, you know, you know, you're a kid, so you don't really know. So when you get your first girlfriend, you're going through elementary, you know, you could take some of the stuff you learned from what you heard from Al and repeat it and say it to the girl. She don't even, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm going to so- get my notebook out. I'm going to get my notebook out and go, all right, what, what do I have to say to the ladies? Yeah, get it out. Listen to Reverend Al. You got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time, um, Sean. You know, I thank you very much like for coming on the show. Um, obviously, you. check him out on Instagram. Uh, check him out as well. He's got his, his representation group as well, The Formula. Um, if you don't have The Formula, you know the man that does. That is Sean Keyes. And Erica as well that uh, helped us put this together. So shout out to her as well. Um, check him out on Spotify, on YouTube, on Instagram. Um, is there anything else you wanted to drop or anything else you wanted to promote before we finish up? Well, we got a new record coming out on the 22nd of December. I don't know when you go air this, but it's called Love Your Soup. Love Your Soup. For all the soup lovers out there and all the people who want to be comforted in these cold times, with the one that they love and they care about and they got a good desire to taste to them. This is a song for y'all. Um, it's about a, a, a another Sean Keys and culture feature. Um, we go end out the year with this, with this particular record here. So we hope to get y'all support on that. If you could go stream it, it should be available on all streaming platforms. The video will be out on the 22nd as well. So, Hey, we're just coming through to spread some love and create some good music and have a good time. The world is already stressful, so we just want to K-I-E-Z, which is keep it easy. We'll see y'all in a minute. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you finished off that better than I ever could. So um, no, I appreciate your time, man. You've been great. And um, yeah, I would love to see you down in Australia sometime soon. Man, get me out there, man. I'm trying to come. Whatever I got to do, if I got to buy my own ticket to come out there, I'm coming out there. The the thing is, right now, no one's allowed to come into Australia at the moment. So um, yeah. hopefully they open it up. Um, you might have to do two weeks quarantine, though. That's that's the rule that we got at the moment. Anyone who's coming from overseas, like Australian citizens, they got to do two weeks in a hotel. You know, can't leave. Oh wow! Yeah, Damn. in their own pocket too. It's it's coming out of their pocket, not out of the government's. And is the government helping the people out there? I know in America, the government is only giving people like uh, a couple hundred dollars a month. What are, what are they doing for y'all citizens out there? Yeah, so what we got is we got, it's called JobKeeper um, and job seeker payments. So what they did was they incentivized employers to keep their staff by paying a portion of their wage, if not all the wage, um, yeah. depending on what their losses were looking like. So if you lost 30%, over the past year in terms of revenue, in terms of profits, then you would become eligible for JobKeeper and your staff would become paid via the government program. Um, And that's like, I think it was a fortnightly payments or like a monthly payment of $1,500 a month that they would front. And then they've also got 
job seeker. So if anyone who was made redundant and you're looking for work, you also get some money coming through every fortnight. Well, that's good. I know in America, you know, they only gave people a stimulus check for $1,200 one time. And some people who had jobs lost their jobs. Some people got unemployment and a lot of people didn't get unemployment. So the poverty rate is going up. Um, the crime rate is going up. Our hospitals, the ICU at the hospitals, our intensive care units, it's almost to capacity all around the country. Um, so this COVID stuff is really taking a toll on everybody. And then, you know, how our government is set up, they're very different yeah. than a lot of other places. So that being said, um, we wish y'all the best of luck over there, man. We, we got love for y'all because we are humans going through the same thing. And for you as well, you know, it is, you know, we've made it out of the, the dark times, but hopefully you guys are stepping towards the right stage. Obviously, you know, the presidential election as well just happened. And now we're still waiting for Joe Biden to become officially the president. He's still the president elect. Um, so, you know, it's a challenge, obviously, when you don't have a true leader anymore. Trump That's is true. obviously doing whatever he's doing. And then Joe Biden is waiting to get into office. So hopefully, you know, you guys get to see some stability and you get to see some some recovery as well, you know, because I think you were hit and, you know, one payment for people who don't have jobs is not really going to help them. So um, no, it's not doing nothing. But this is where, you know, that we as humans can help others. So if you are in a privileged position, if you have a business and, you know, you can employ more people, that's where it comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, what, what was shown was, you know, we can either help each other or we can, you know, decide to look after ourselves. And at the end of the day, if we help each other, everyone's going to be better off. That's true. That is true. I agree. That's what it's all about. Try to help somebody every day, one person a day, if you can. Yeah. I love that message, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore slim fitty biggie committee. And stay tuned for our next podcast. Bye for now.